This message by Bill Kittrell was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Bill serves as a senior pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. We're going to return to our series on Galatians. So if you have a copy of the Bible with you, please turn with me to the book of Galatians, chapter 5. Follow along as we look back to Paul's letter to the Galatians. Chapter 5, we'll look today at verses 7 through 15. My three-year-old grandson took his parents' Bible, opened it, announced to his dad the other night, I'm going to read to you God. (laughs) It gets pretty accurate, pretty close. And what we're going to do today. The Bible is God's Word. I'm not sure that's totally accurate. I've been thinking about it, but I'm going to read to you God. Seems fairly okay. Verse 7, Galatians chapter 5. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Verse 13, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love... Serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. This is God's Word. I believe the Lord wants us to hear today that we are set free in Christ to love others. We are set free in Christ to love others. Last December, one of my favorite theologians and authors, R.C. Sproul, went home to be with the Lord. The memorial service is online. It's worth your time. He was a gift to the church. Like many of you, I will never forget reading his book, The Holiness of God. The Holiness of God. I was on a personal retreat in Franklin, West Virginia, taking to the house I was at, and I read it in 24 hours. I had an encounter with the living God. Dr. Sproul introduced me to the holiness of of God. I hadn't understood it prior to that moment. Like countless other people, 
It was a defining moment in my life to read that book. It changed my view of God. It continues to have an influence on me. In chapter 6 of that book, it's called Holy Justice, Dr. Sproul described individuals in the Bible that God executed. In particular, he tells the story of Uzzah from 1 Chronicles 13. If you remember, the Ark of the Covenant was being returned to Jerusalem. That was, that was God's throne. God was with His people, and He was holy, and He met with them. The Ark of the Covenant spoke to them when Moses would come before Him. And in 1 Chronicles 13, the Ark was being pulled in a cart behind oxen, and the oxen stumbled. And Uzzah reached out to steady the ark and keep it from falling. And he touched it, and God's anger burned against him. God struck him down. God executed him for putting his hand on the ark. And he died there before God. And David, the king of Israel, who was said to be a man after God's own heart, was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And as you read the book, Dr. Sproul interacts with you and draws you out, draws you into the story. He says, surely Uzzah's reaction was instinctive. He did what any pious Jew would do to keep the ark from falling in the mud. He reached out his hand to steady the ark to protect the holy object from falling. It was not a premeditated act of defiance toward God. It was a reflex action. From our vantage point, it seems like an act of heroism. We think that Uzzah should have heard the voice of God shouting down from heaven, crying, Thank you, Uzzah! God didn't do that. Instead, he killed him. He slaughtered him on the spot. Another summary. Execution. What was Uzzah's sin? To understand this, Dr. Sproul explained the formation of the priesthood and the special commands God had given to the Israelites, including Numbers 4, verse 15, regarding the holy things like the ark in the tabernacle, which says, they must not touch the holy things or they will die. And to reinforce this, the Lord says again in Numbers 4, the Kohathites must not go in to look at the holy things even for a moment or they will die. Uzzah was a Kohathite. He knew exactly what his duties were. No Kohathite, under any circumstance, was ever permitted to touch the ark. Dr. Sproul writes, not only was Uzzah forbidden to touch the ark, he was forbidden even to look at it. And he touched it anyway. He stretched out his hand, placed it squarely on the ark, steadying it in place lest it fall to the ground. An act of holy heroism? No. It was an act of arrogance, a sin of presumption. Uzzah assumed that his hand was less polluted than the earth. But it wasn't the ground or the mud that would desecrate the ark. It was the touch of man. The earth is an obedient creature. It does what God tells it to do. The ground does not commit cosmic treason. There's nothing polluted about the ground. It was man's touch that was forbidden. Uzzah was not an innocent man. He was not punished without warning. And there's a reason why we are offended 
indeed angered by the story of Uzzah. We find these things difficult to stomach because we don't understand four vitally important biblical concepts. Holiness, justice, sin, and grace. We don't understand what it means to be holy. We don't understand what justice is. We don't understand what sin is. We do not understand what grace is. The story of Uzzah is an example of divine justice. It is not an example of divine mercy. But we cannot begin to understand divine mercy till we have first have some understanding of divine justice. I have a pastor friend who read this book and then was inspired to do a series of messages on all the people of the Bible that God killed. He said initially when he announced it to the congregation, people were perplexed. But by the time he finished the series, they were grateful. He said, we were all wondering why he hadn't executed us. We realized it was because of the mercy of God. That's the fruit. That's the effect of Dr. Sproul's book and ministry on my life. He made me aware of the holiness of God. And in the process, made me more grateful for the gospel. He taught me something critical about the grace of God. He wrote another book entitled Save from What? He begins this, the book by telling the story. He's a professor at a seminary, Gordon Conwell. He's focused on something and some guy comes up to him and says, are you saved? And he was a little irritated and he just says to him, save from what? And the guy had very little understanding of this great salvation. He just said, you know, do you know Jesus? <laughs> so it's a funny beginning to the book. But he called the book, Save From What? What do we need to be saved from, he writes. We need to be saved from God. Not from kidney stones, not from hurricanes, not from military defeats. What every human being needs to be saved from is God. The last thing in the world the impenitent sinner ever wants to meet on the other side of the grave is God. But the glory of the gospel is that the one from whom we need to be saved is the very one who saves us. God, in saving us, saves us from Himself. This is our great need. And this is what Paul's letter to the Galatian churches is all about. So in our text here, in this letter, Paul has been explaining in detail why these Gentile Christians should not submit to legalism, to the legalistic requirement of circumcision in the law. And now he's transitioned to exhorting them, forcefully applying the truths that he's taught them. He wants them to stand in the freedom they have gained through the cross of Jesus Christ. In our text today, his exhortations apply to all of us, all believers for all time. Number one, we'll look at, we are called to freedom. Number two, we are hindered by opponents. And finally, number three, we are called to serve others through love. We are, number one, called to freedom. Verse 13 Galatians 5.13, you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, 
but through love serve one another. The demand that these Galatians, these Gentiles, receive Jewish circumcision for justification is bondage. Back in verse 3 of this chapter, Paul had told them if they receive circumcision, they're in debt. They'll be under an obligation, not just for circumcision, but to, to, keep, to, to keep the whole law. Paul longs for these Galatians to be like him, free. Free from the law, but also free from sin. And he's warning them against using their liberty in Christ as an excuse for sin. So he anticipates this great argument that is going to take place throughout the history of the church that we're very aware of. It's happening today. That there can be an overreaction to what he is saying. He's a wise pastor. He anticipates an extreme response to this letter. Freedom in Christ doesn't mean freedom from any and all moral obligations. In fact, life in Christ fulfills the laws we will see. It may seem to be counterintuitive, but the law does not restrain sin. The law increases sin. The more rules we make, the more sin there will be. We all have at least heard of the legalistic person that tries to keep all the rules, but then there's a secret life of sin that is always exposed at some point. The solution to the problem of sin is not rules, not the Old Testament law. The solution is grace. The solution to the problem of sin is the power of the Spirit. We're going to be diving into that in the coming weeks. Faith is never idle. It produces. Faith produces a life that is pleasing to God. True freedom is not the liberty to be self-serving, to fulfill all our selfish desires. That's bondage. Freedom has to be rightly understood. Do not use your freedom. Verse 13 is an opportunity for the flesh. We're called to be free. We're called to be free from the law. There's a false gospel that comes in that wants us to keep the law so we'll be right with God. And it brings bondage. The message from Paul's opponents is not from God. This is not God's Word. Galatians are unsettled. They're troubled. The agitators have come in. And they're preaching a false gospel. And so we're not seeing the fruit of the Spirit. God has called them to freedom. Freedom from law and freedom from sin. But they're listening. The Lord is calling them to Himself. He's calling them to be free from this requirement of circumcision. He's calling them to come to the cross of Christ and be set free from bondage to sin. But they have these opponents, these agitators, and they're lying to them. The burden of attempting to be right with God on the basis of our performance, our obedience, 
no longer applies to believers. They, they enjoy the freedom of being redeemed from the curse of the law. Back in chapter 3, verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So when we fall short of the law, we earn the curse of the law. But Christ took the curse that we deserved for us. Chapter 4, verse 4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. No longer under the law, because we're in Christ. We're called to this freedom. This is our calling to live in freedom and joy as children of God, free from the law, free from sin. It's a freedom, though, that can be distorted by the flesh, by sinful desires. So Paul says, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. They must not be deceived and allow their freedom in Christ to become an opportunity to indulge sinful desires. But the solution is not the law. Freedom can be abused, and the temptation is always to make rules. And Paul says, don't do that. Secondly, number two, we are hindered by opponents. It's true for all Christians, all times, including the Galatians and the Cornerstonians. We are hindered by opponents. You were running well. Verse 7, who hindered you from obeying the truth? Go back to chapter 3. Look at verse 1. Oh, foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? It's like somebody has put a spell on them. It was before your eyes that Christ Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, do so, by, do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith. Just as Abraham, the father of us all, believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham was justified by faith alone in the promise of God. He was saved by grace. Grace alone, through faith alone, he was justified. He was Counted righteous in God's sight by believing God's promise. That's how we're saved, isn't it? Saved from what? Saved from God. You don't want to meet God on the other side of the grave without believing the promise that Christ is your Savior. The good news is, the promise that we're to believe is that Christ loved us and gave himself for us on the cross. In the life we now live, we live by faith in him. We trust in him. 
And these believers in Galatia, they initially responded to the gospel with faith. They relied on Christ. They, they didn't rely on their performance for a right standing with God. They weren't trying to keep all the rules. They weren't legalists. And this is what Paul means by they were running well. Running well. But the race is long, isn't it? And now they're in danger of stumbling. They're in, in danger of not obeying the truth. Who hindered you? In the Greek, literally it means who cut you off? Get it? Circumcision? It, he was using a play on words. They were obeying the truth, but now these opponents have cut in on them. And they brought these Christians to the brink of rejecting Christ. Paul knows Satan. We sang about it today. Satan was, is behind their efforts. He's powerful. He's deceptive. They're cutting in on them. They're hindering them from running the race well. Think this isn't relevant? In his book, Transforming Grace, Jerry Bridges talks about this freedom we have from rules, from our performance to be right with God, freedom from legalism. And he talks about some dangerous opponents we still have to deal with. He talks about aggravating all of these areas, areas where we practice legalism, is a class of people who have come to be known as controllers. These are people who are not willing to let you live your life before God as you believe He is leading you. They have all the issues, all the rules, buttoned down, cast iron opinions about all of them, and they insist you live your Christian life according to their rules and their opinions. If you insist on being free, you, you insist on your liberties to live as God wants you to live, they'll try to intimidate you and manipulate you one way or another. These people must be resisted. That's Jerry Bridges. We must not allow them to subvert the freedom we have in Christ. Paul treated the legalism in the Galatian church as heresy, and he called down a curse on its perpetrators. When people project guilt, when they insist on their rules, remember, it's heresy. They will hinder you from running well, and you have to resist their message. Don't receive their guilt. Proclaim to them gospel freedom. Preach the gospel to them. Running a race is a metaphor for the Christian life. You were running well. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run? He's talking about the Christian life. But only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I don't live my Christian life aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. 
It's a metaphor for the Christian life. Running a race and the Christian life require similar things. Endurance, persistence, discipline, focus, self-control. Both are demanding. Both are challenging. The race is long. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's demanding. And there are people who come along during the race who can hinder you. I think maybe if Paul had known about treadmills, he might have used running on a treadmill as a better metaphor for the Christian life if they had them in the first century. I had never been on a treadmill until I went with the leaders of our church a couple weeks ago to Chattanooga and tried to run on one at the hotel. I got on, I pushed a few buttons, and I found myself going backwards. And I've seen the Jetsons. I started punching buttons, and then it got too slow, and I punched more buttons, and then it got way too fast. And then there's an incline, suddenly I'm on a hill. It's like I'm climbing Mount Everest. And then... A person shows up, an opponent, in, in the treadmill right beside me. Kim Alexander jumps on the one right beside me, looking all hipster, clearly knowing exactly what she's doing, clearly running faster than me, while talking to me all chipper. I can barely breathe. I couldn't much less talk. I had planned to run for 30 minutes. I quit after 15. I was embarrassed. And I should have been. Later, I heard her talking to my wife. I saw Bill on the treadmill. It was hilarious. That's a quote. <laughs> she took a picture and sent it out to her friends. You've probably seen it if you go on Instagram or whatever it is. Welcome to the Christian life. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Cam Alexander. <laughs> Totally kidding. It is a metaphor. Because the Christian life is not easy. Faith isn't easy. There are obstacles. There are hindrances. It requires discipline, self-control. You have to learn things. You have to have endurance. And there are opponents along the way. Paul says about these opponents in verse 8, this persuasion, this pressure from the controllers, the false teachers for them to receive circumcision, verse 8, is not from Him who calls you. Not from God. Paul judges those who are unsettling them. He now shifts his focus to the false teachers. His opponents, these are the guys that are hindering the Galatians. It's serious. In chapter 1, he, had, he started out this letter without even a thanksgiving for them, which he always does in his letters. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. I'm astonished. It's a serious issue. And he says those who are hindering them should be rejected because they're not from God. They're They're passionate. They're smart. They're, they have influence. 
They're good. But, but they do not have God's blessing on them. They do not represent Him. God is the one that called these Christians through the Gospel to faith. He's not speaking through these opponents. But Paul knows, verse 9, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. If they don't oppose these guys, it's going to spread to the whole church. They're not members of the church. They're from outside the church. And Paul knows they're dangerous. Their theology will spread. They need to be opposed. They need to be rejected. They've got to take this serious. Verse 10, I have confidence in the Lord. It's very serious what's going on. It's unsettling the church. But Paul says, nevertheless, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. That you will continue to run well. And the one who's troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. He, he believes they're going to persevere in faith. Even though it's a very unsettling situation. He believes they're going to run their race well. He believes that the Lord who began the good work in them is going to bring it to completion. He, he thinks his warnings are actually going to be the very means of grace that God is going to use to keep them clinging to the Savior, to the gospel. He has confidence, not in them. He has confidence in the Lord. He's warning them, but at the same time, he's giving them a word of assurance. Listen, receive this today for your own soul. If you're here today and you're discouraged, wow, what a great Sunday to be here. What great words. What great songs. What great encouragement. If you're discouraged, if your faith is weak, if you're unsettled, the truth is, I have confidence in the Lord for you. My confidence is not in you. Your friends around you, they have confidence in the Lord for you. Not confidence in you, but confidence in the Lord for you. Paul didn't look to the people for his confidence. If he did, he'd be nervous and anxious. But he looked to the Lord. And our, our confidence is in Him. This is the truth. Think about this. The Lord is saying to you, if you have weak faith today, be confident because of me, not because of you. They're not going to be persuaded by these troublemakers. They'll not be hindered by these agitators. They're going to run the race and resist the false gospel because of the Lord. God's grace is going to sustain them to the to the end, but verse 10, the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty. If you desire to be a teacher, you should heed this warning. Remember Uzzah. You do not want to teach false doctrine. That's why James said, don't let many of you aspire to be a teacher because those who teach error will not be spared on the last day. In verse 11, Paul says, brothers, if I still preach circumcision, then why am I being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. 
they're apparently accusing him of hypocrisy. So that when he comes to a synagogue, when he goes into Jewish believers, he preaches circumcision. But when he comes to Gentile believers, he opposes it. He doesn't require it. And we know from other places in the New Testament that Paul had no problem with Jewish people receiving circumcision as long as it wasn't for the purpose of justification or salvation. It was acceptable if it was just about social reasons or cultural reasons. And Paul's opponents are twisting that. They're saying he's a politician. He's a hypocrite. But Paul always rejected legalism. He always rejected circumcision when it was demanded for justification before God. And the proof is that he's being persecuted because he's preaching the cross. And the cross is what offends people. Persecution always goes back to the cross. It's what upsets people. The cross says, no, you're not good enough. The cross says, this is what you deserve. The cross tells us about the holiness of God. The cross says God executes sinners. It's a scandal. It's a stumbling block. And if you preach it, you will be persecuted. It's an affront to pride and self-righteousness. It says we always fall short. Our only hope is Christ. Verse 12, he says, can't miss this one, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Some of you, if this was translated literally, would be offended by this text, which is God's Word. He's using strong language. It's a shocking statement, even the way it's translated. I heard some of you, as we read through it. I don't want to tell you the full meaning of the word. Martin Luther knew the original language. He knew what kind of language Paul was using. And not surprisingly, he loved it. Here's what he said. And, and what is this else but plain cursing. Here raises the question, whether it be lawful for Christians to curse. Here's Luther for you. Why not? Howbeit not always, nor for every cause, but when the matter is come to this point, that God's Word must be evil spoken of, and His doctrine blasphemed. And so, consequently, God Himself then must we turn this sentence and say, blessed be God and His Word, and whatsoever is without God and His Word, accursed be it. In Paul's view, circumcision is not a good work. Circumcision is mutilation. It's paganism. No one will be made right with God by mutilating their flesh. They're actually cutting themselves off from God's people. It's a stern warning. Finally, number three, we're called to serve others through love. What, what matters in running this wraith is 
is faith. If you want to run well, what matters is faith, not keeping the rules, not even keeping God's laws. What matters is faith expressing itself in love. We run the race well when our faith is working through love. Back in verse 13, you were called to freedom, brothers, only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. Become, literally, become slaves of one another through love. Verse 14, the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You can say that is the law of Christ. This is the basis for why Paul says, through love, serve one another. That the freedom we're called to was never intended to become an excuse for fulfilling selfish desires. Freedom in Christ is not for the purpose of increasing sin. That's not true freedom. True freedom leads us to not serve ourselves, but to serve others. Now, it seems like a contradiction because we think of freedom, we, we think it means I get to do what I want to do. I get to fulfill all my desires, right? Now, that, that's not true freedom. That's actually bondage. Freedom doesn't come by giving into our natural sinful tendency to exalt and serve ourselves. That's what everybody does. That isn't true freedom. When we're left to ourselves, we think serving God and serving other people isn't good. But the fact is, that's where you discover Joy. True freedom liberates people from their love of self. They find their joy in Christ. They find their joy in loving God. And they find their joy in serving and loving others. It's a miracle. That's true freedom. Those are the happiest people you will meet. Uh, they have a true desire to serve the needs of other people. They're set free from the bondage of self-serving. Redemption in Christ does it. It liberates us. That's freedom. It's powerful. It's the fulfillment of the law. Here's Paul, who's been going along all, all along, saying you're free from the law, and now all of a sudden, he says, you're going to fulfill the law. See, Christ didn't come to do away with the law, and this is where we can get confused about the law. But he came to fulfill the law. And when we are set free from self and become slaves of other people, we fulfill the law of God. He quotes Leviticus. 
He quotes Leviticus, the law of God. That's what happens when we're redeemed and set free by Jesus Christ. When we turn it into an excuse for sin, when we become antinomians, when we give in against the law, when we come, we think the liberty that Christ gives us allows us to just pursue our own sinful desires. We're in bondage, and what happens is verse 15. If you bite and devour one another, watch out. But you're not consumed by one another. And that, my friends, is not the Spirit of God. We need to be saved from His wrath. And the good news is Jesus Christ and His finished work for sinners on the cross. I have confidence in Him that you will run the race well. Lord, thanks for speaking to us this morning from Your Word. Thank, Lord, for setting us free. For liberating us so that we might serve You, Lord. So that we might love You. That we might love those around us. Father, I pray today for those who are weak in faith. I pray for the discouraged. Let Your Word, Lord, strengthen them. Father, our confidence is in You. And we pray this morning and ask You, as we return to singing, Lord, as we've sat under Your Word and listened to Your Word, Lord, we pray today that faith would be made strong for Your glory alone. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message given by Bill Kittrell during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.